Hi there, Scott Hamilton, Rockfile, back with another podcast review for your ears. Going to be talking about 2015's Synchronicity. Definitely not a big budget movie, but you'd think they would have bought the, you know, one of the versions of Synchronicity from the police. But anyway, not that it has anything to do with either version of that song. No, Synchronicity 1, Synchronicity 2, anyway. I first learned about Jacob Gentry with the 2007 film The Signal, which I own. is actually a pretty good movie. I didn't realize it was made for $50,000 and went on to gross almost half a million. Jacob and some of the other people in this movie were University of Georgia grads. Right up the road from where I'm from. And no idea. And the same core of people worked on The Signal back in 2007. He hasn't made a whole lot of movies. He made this and then a movie last year um, that sounds a lot like The Signal. Didn't see that either, but I'm going to look it, look it up, see if I can find it. So Synchronicity was one of those really cheap Blu-rays I found on HamiltonBook.com and I ordered along with some other things I was getting because I'd heard things about it and it was incredibly cheap, under four bucks, I believe. Finally pulled it out tonight and I got to say, uh, I don't agree with Ain't It Cool Spectacular was their big headline, but it is a pretty darn good movie in its own right, especially for and considering its low budget. The gist of the movie, and I'll stay away from spoilers, is a physicist has created what he believes to be a time machine. He's going to open a quantum tunnel uh, from one time to another, and then they need to replicate it to send something you know, from one thing to the other and then back to prove that it works. Michael Ironside, the only big star in the movie, plays the investor, the guy who's giving the money and some of this radioactive isotope he uses to make this experiment happen. Not getting into too many spoilers, but it appears to work, but they have to replicate it and things go awry from there. Did it work? Did it not? All of a sudden, there is a woman involved. What is her role in all this? It's very, wants to be very film noir. I mean, it goes so far as to when there is a scene between a man and a woman in uh, her apartment late at night, there's the spotlights going through like in Blade Runner. Not that it really needed that. It's a bit overkill, I thought. You've got decent acting, you've got some decent cinematography, you've got some decent special effects. Like I said, I don't agree with spectacular, there's nothing very spectacular in the whole movie, but if you sit there and think about it, especially when it's over, there's a lot to digest here. I'll get into some spoilers at the end, I'll let you know before that happens. I like the leads, I think everybody did a good job, even Michael Ironside kind of doing his Michael Ironside thing, being... Is he sinister or is he not? Is he nefarious or is he not? Movie came out in 2015, played some award, uh, you know, played, played a few circuits and then was fully released in 2016. I don't know how long the Blu-ray's been out. It's on a Magnolia release and uh, good quality. Parts of it looked a little... Um, Let's say less than 4K. This is a Blu-ray, by the way. It's only 1080p, but I'm, that's a nice way of saying it. it almost was um, low res enough to look almost blurry. 
I guess I'm too used to watching pristine, you know, remastered in 4K movies that a low-budget movie on Blu-ray that barely squeaks under the 1080p uh, in certain scenes looks a little blurry to my eyes. It's not a bad-looking movie, though. It just doesn't look crispy. It certainly doesn't look its budget. I, I couldn't find what its budget was, but considering um, his 2007 movie was made for $50,000, I would say this was probably in the millions because they got uh, Michael Ironside to be in it a little bit more. And they did have to do some intricate filming of scenes and plan this thing out. A lot of it reminds me of Primer, which is another micro-budget science fiction movie that was incredibly intelligent. You have to watch it several times to get everything out of it. This kind of doubles down on that, goes a little bit deeper into the science, kind of. Not that it's wholly accurate science, but that's it's movie science, so it's fine. And then adds an emotional element. That was the hardest part about Primer, is that, and I still own that movie on DVD. It's never come out on anything else. It's a really good movie that just is kind of cold when it's over. But that's also the style of the guy who made it and the movies he made after that. This movie, again, feels like that in places because, again, it's a low-budget telling of a complicated time travel type story. Is it worth watching? Do you like sci-fi movies that you have to perhaps watch more than once or at least ruminate on after you watch it, have a long discussion about to fully uh, pull everything out of it that was in there? And this may be your cup of tea. If you want something explained to you, force-fed to you, you know, and, and just to sit there and watch and park your brain, this is probably not that movie. It shoots for the moon. It doesn't quite get it. It doesn't quite have the budget or the, the I don't know, skill to get that high. I don't know. It's pretty well-directed. It's pretty well-written. It's got a few pacing issues in the middle. It gets a little draggy. Um, and I don't think they totally stick the landing. I think visually they could have represented something that I'll get into in the spoiler talk a little better. But all in all, though, I think it's worth a watch. Be like a B minus, C plus kind of thing. And on a scale if I had one. But again, with the caveats as mentioned before, if you're into something that's a little more convoluted, a little more uh, complex, I've been watching a lot of time travel stuff lately. This hangs right in there. I just watched The Peripheral over the weekend, and I'll be uh, doing episode two review here shortly. And then I uh, have been watching 12 Monkeys, the TV series, and then this. Uh, maybe we should take a break from time travel stuff for a while. It's all starting to kind of blend together. But this was a, a definitely worth the money and something I will watch again just to kind of pick it apart now that I know everything I know. So that would be my short and longer version. Now I'm going to get into spoilers. If you don't want to know what happens, tune out now and come back. All right, spoiler time. The time machine does work, but it works better. And this is the part that I think they, and why I'm talking about it is I think they could have done it a little bit better. When he appears to go, when Jim appears to go through the wormhole, we get some cool visuals. We don't get to see like a dude falling through these visuals. They just show these visuals and they're pretty cool. I assume it's from his point of view and budget constraints. But they hypothesize and pretty much prove by the end of the movie that he not only traveled through time, but also dimensions. 
that we have infinite parallel dimensions and he could have just slipped into another one where he died, slipped into another one where he lived. From the beginning of the movie, he's having some effects of, the, of whatever's going on. You don't know at first, but he's having headaches. He's almost passing out. He does pass out at one point. This is because he's in close proximity to himself, almost creating a paradox. This is something they deal with in uh, 12 Monkeys the same way, that when he's near a version of himself, older or younger or whatever, um, they start to have nosebleeds or headaches or you know feel the effects of. But at the end of the movie, the... <laughs> wow, it does get a little twisty. The end of the movie hypothesized that he jumps into a universe where he has died. So he can stay in this one because he's not, you know, he's not occupying the same space as a duplicate of himself. That version of himself already died. When he jumps into this time and he meets Abby, they sit in a cafe and she doesn't really know him. But she does know of Jim the scientist who died in an explosion. And he's like, oh, this leads us to believe that, you know, he's made it to a universe where he will be able to survive and he will be fine because he seems to be better. I like that. I just thought the whole dimensions thing, they could have illustrated a little bit better or gotten a little bit more into because that's kind of something that's thrown in at the end. There is a, one of the websites I looked at right before I did this review has a nice pie chart that shows all the different timelines and dimensions. And it's, it, it's, it's a little more convoluted than, say, a Donnie Darko or something, which one of my favorite movies. The soundtrack, by the way, was done by Ben Lovett who has done several movies uh, in the science fiction genre. He, first movie he did was The Signal with this, this group of people. Um, he's recently done some, <clears throat> some science fiction movies I liked. So He did The Night House last year. Really good flick. I enjoyed that. I need to get a copy of that. I streamed it. and It'd be worth owning. So check it out if you're into time travel movies. This is a different take on it adding that, that twist I mentioned. Um, and it's not bad. It, it definitely doesn't break wholly new ground, but does come at things a little bit differently because part of this is done for ego and to get the girl, which is explained towards the end of the movie as well. Let me know what you think about it. Synchronicity. It's available now on Blu-ray and streaming services. I'm Scott Hamilton. I'm Rockfile. My links are below. Thank you for taking 11 minutes out of your day to listen to this podcast. Have a spectacular rest of your day.